that is one of the most powerful videos that uh, Kensington has ever put together, in my opinion. When I, when I see that, and I've seen it a couple times now, uh, I'm still incredibly moved. And I think to myself, man, at the end of my life, what am I going to be known for? And, and I don't think that any single one of us wants to get to the end of our lives uh, feeling comfortable. None of us, you know, want to end up, you know, just saying, wow, I just lived a comfortable life and didn't make a difference anywhere. I think that deep down inside, all of us long to make a difference. And so it's the perfect video for us to start off, oops, for today, <clears throat> because, uh, just as Kevin said, if you were here for week one, we talked about, you know, uh, God, open our eyes, open our eyes to see the least of these, the, the, the people group who are overlooked. And then week two, last week, we talked about God, change our hearts, break our hearts, help our hearts to be broken for the, for the people that your hearts, or that your heart is broken for. So in essence, what we're really saying is week one and two are God do a great work in me. And then today we're talking about God do a great work through me. So I'd love to pray as we dive into that together. Would you pray with me as we begin? Father, we thank you for today. And Lord, we thank you for our time together. Lord, thank you for every single person uh, who's in this room or listening online. And I pray, God, that you would help us to hear directly from you today. God, I pray that through your word that you would challenge us. And Lord, I have no idea what uh, the people in this room are wrestling with. God, all of us are dealing with and praying through uh, different things in our lives. But God, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you may speak to us exactly where we are and that we might hear from you and then give us the courage to, to do, to respond to what you challenge us with. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let me start off by, first of all, saying I'm thrilled to be here, and you guys have a pretty good upgrade in your auditorium, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, the last time I was here, I spoke, it was in the gymnasium, and I've always said this. I've always said that Orlando is the best gymnasium experience, because, you know, in ministry, oftentimes, you, you know, you have to speak in gyms a lot, and, and by far, it was the best. You guys did the best experience with the gymnasium, but in the end, it was always still a gymnasium, right? And so that uh, this is just, this is pretty awesome. What a privilege. And uh, we got a new building ourselves, and you guys are in a new facility, so we're twins. So here we go. So I just want to say, um, I just want to say this. Uh, let me start out with this idea. How, how many of you are uncomfortable with getting out of your comfort zones? Would you be honest? You're uncomfortable with getting out of your comfort zones, all right? I think that's most of us, right? Uh, I, I couldn't think of a better story. I have to tell this story. Uh, it's the time I went rappelling in Denver. Uh, so, some of you are from up north, Michigan, from my campus, and, and just bear with me if you've heard it. Hopefully, it's a good enough story to hear again. But well, I remember one time, my buddy called me to Denver, and he said, hey, let's go rappelling. And I have a fear of heights, but I often Oftentimes, force myself to do things like this. And I'm like, that's fine. I'll, I'll be all in, right? And so the first thing he does is he drives us up to, and it seemed like forever to get to the top of the Rocky Mountains. And by the way, we were like a thousand feet up. Now, the drop that we went down was only like 150, which already is a lot, right? But because we were so high, it looked so much higher. I mean, like, there's eagles soaring below us. I kid you not. There was eagles below us. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. He says, oh, this drops about 150 feet. Now, when you repel, I didn't know any of this. You 
have a, a guy named a, called a belayer. You know what a belayer is? It's the guy who stands at the bottom of the rope, and then when your rope goes through your little, you know, eight-figure-eight kind of a thing, uh, if, you're, if you fall, the belayer just pulls down on the rope, and then what that does is that kind of, like, forces the tension. It's, it goes from loose to tight, and it slows you down so you don't die. And so the, there's a belayer on the bottom, and then there's a belayer on the top as well. So he's like, oh, we're totally fine. We have a couple belayers with us, and so, you know, we're going to go ahead and hook you on up. And he goes, I'll just, you know, jump off first, and I'll show you how it goes. And so he and I were the only ones repelling. And so we were on top of this mountain. And first of all, here's what he does. He, he hooks up to a, to a carabiner that's hooked up in this mountain. He, he brings the rope, and he's like, hook. And he hooks up to this carabiner. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, who put that carabiner in here? And he's like, I don't know. It's always been here. He said, like, we just hook it right up to it. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, our lives are getting trusted. It's a straight drop. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Visually picture this. It is a straight drop to death. And you're going to hook up to a carabiner, and you don't even know who put that thing in there. And he's like, no, it's just been here for a while. And I'm like, that's already I'm ready to throw up. And so <laughs> he throws this carabiner in here, and he hooks it up through his deal, you know. And he says, here's what you do. Put the rope and sit on the rope. And he says, and then all you got to do is just kind of release the tension and kind of jump down the wall. And he just jumps, boop, 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 and jumps all the way down. And then, and, then, and then the cliff came like this, and then it was like a kind of went in a little bit. He's like, look, I'm pulling a technical move. And he like, went like this, and he made like a switch swing and he starts swinging and I was like wow that's unbelievable and he went all the way down <clears throat> then he walks all the way back up he's like now you try I'm like okay so I get and I'm you know sweating you know I'm ready to like you you know wet my pants all this stuff so I finally get to the very edge and here's what happens he says okay he says and I got you know I got the rope in this hand and I'm sitting on the rope it's like behind my bottom and I'm, and I'm holding it like this he goes all right now he goes here's what I want you to do because I want you to let go of the rope and then jump down the mountain so here's what my brain told me to, my hands to do is let go of the rope but my brain didn't tell my feet to jump so what I did was I let go of the rope but my feet stayed planted and I went upside down and I was upside down right over the cliff. Like my feet, Sean could have touched my feet, and I was upside down, and I started screaming like a little man, okay? And didn't want to say girl, 2018. So, so I said, so I started screaming, and he goes, and he goes, you're fine. You kept on telling me, you're fine. I got you. There's a belayer holding you. You're fine. And I finally, I had to say, stop telling me I'm fine. I am not fine. I am upside down on a cliff. And so finally, I got, you know, right side up and everything, and I got the hang of it, and I kind of went down, and I got to the place where the cliff kind of went in, and I got to the, you know, to this place where it was overhanging, and I thought, hey, this is easier than I thought. And so I thought, I'll try to impress him and pull the technical move. It's my first time down ever. So I was like, it looked pretty easy. So I grabbed the rope and I pulled it up here and I kind of, you know, kind of whittled it around and I just kind of pushed off. I go, look, Sean, I'm doing a tactical move. And I was holding myself like a swing. And he's like, man, that's awesome. And I'm like, I got the hang of this thing. And so finally it came time for me to like, you know, go back to my position. And I thought, uh oh, I don't know how to do this. So I was holding the rope like this. And then, and somehow, I don't know, I can't explain it, but somehow here's what I thought. I thought to myself, okay, I, my hand needs to go from like here to there. And so I, I got an idea. I'm like, it's right there. It's like two inches away. I'll just let go and then grab this rope as fast as I can. I'll just let go and grab it as fast as I can. I don't know what my brain, I can't even describe it. I don't even know what I'm talking about. But it was like something like I needed to switch my hands, right? So I didn't know what to do. So I'm like, all right, ready, unmark, and set. And as soon as I let go, I went down the mountain. And I was like hitting, like I was just upside down, going straight down the mountain. 
Well, the guy below sees me coming down. He's like, oh, no. So he grabs the rope, and he falls on it like this, and he just slows me down enough to where I didn't die. So I'm like, all the way down the mountain, and, and I finally slow down, and I get to the end. I'm like, I had no idea that I almost died. Right? And I was like, oh, that was really fun. Woo! And the, guy, like, you know, the guy's like, white as it goes. He's like, oh, oh. He's like, dude, he's like, you almost died. Then Sean comes running down, and I go, hey, that was great. And he's like, I thought you were dead. Totally thought you were dead, but that was one of the that was one of the times where I think I, I think I think as I look back at my entire life, it was probably one of the times where it was the most uh, I've stepped out of my comfort zone, probably maybe ever, and it was incredible. And I think to myself, you know what the most irritating and the most wonderful thing about following Jesus is, is that Jesus calls us out of our comfort zone all the time. It is the most wonderful thing and probably the most irritating thing in the world. God tells us that it's our job sometimes to step out of our comfort zone and to bring up God in a conversation. God will prod us and say, hey, you're supposed to like, you know, be an example of your faith. And, you know, you're supposed to, you know, say the things that, you know, they need to hear. And sometimes God will interrupt us and get us out of our comfort zone to give financially, right? And then we're praying about something, you know, and God's like, oh, you need to give a bunch of money to this. And we're like, no, right? And it just, you just feel like God's calling you out of your comfort zone financially. Sometimes God calls us out of our comfort zone in our social circle. circle. And isn't it true that sometimes God will call you out of your comfort zone by doing things, by, by calling us to action? God will just like whisper and he'll say, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go volunteer here or help that person or do something. And you're like, that is entirely out of my comfort zone. And yet God is in the habit of calling us out of our comfort zone. I remember the very first time I prayed out loud. How many of you remember the first time anybody asked you to pray out loud? Anybody with you on that? Were you scared to death like me? Uh, and by the way, maybe you still don't pray out loud. <laughs> it's probably a lot of you are like, I still don't do it. No way, buddy. In fact, that's why I don't go to church. I'm afraid people are going to call on me. But I remember somebody called on me. They didn't even prep me. They're like, Chris, pray out loud. You've been coming for six months to church. Pray out loud. I'm like, Duh. I didn't know what to say. I don't even, I don't even know if my prayer was like made, made any sense, right? But I remember thinking at the end, I'm like, I did it. Whew, I did it. I remember the first time uh, that I actually spoke publicly that I got nervous in my, it was my freshman year of high school, where my voice quivered so bad giving the book report, and then because my voice quivered, I started to get nervous, and I started to shake, and then people heard the paper shake, and then when they heard the paper shake, my voice got quivery, and it was like the most ridiculous thing in the world, and I sat down, and I said this comment out loud. I says, I will never speak publicly again. I was like, that, that's one thing I will never do is public speak, and then God has a sense of humor, doesn't he, right? Because that's what I do for a living, Okay? And so listen, here's, here's what we have to understand, is that if you and I are unwilling to, to get out of our comfort zone in any area that God challenges us, then we have to realize that we will, we will miss out on the life that God has for us. Isn't it true that whenever we step out in our comfort zone, I mean, some great things are, you know, are, are, are waiting to be experienced. And if you look back at all the greatest things in your life, most of the time it begins with God calling us out of our comfort zone. And when we do, uh, it's, it's awesome. But when we don't, we will never know the things that are waiting for us, all the things that God has planned for us, all the blessings, all the adventure, all the risks, all the rewards. Well, there's a scripture in the Bible and it's actually a pretty obscure scripture in the Bible. You may not have heard of this story, but there's a woman, she's a disciple, and her name is Tabitha. And I love the Bible because the Bible is so interesting. But the Greek, how do you pronounce her name in the Greek? Is Her name was Dorcas. 
I kid you not, Dorcas. Sounds like something I would just call Kevin just all the time. Hey, Dorcas. No, just kidding. But, but like, it doesn't sound very nice, does it? But Dorcas was actually, believe it or not, her name in the Greek. I just had to make fun of that. But her name was Tabitha. And there's a story that is, uh, again, it's maybe not as well known as some, but today we're going to be looking at it. So look at Acts chapter 9. Look at verse number 36. <clears throat> it's talking about in the city of Joppa. In the city of Joppa, there's a, there's a disciple named Tabitha, and Greek her name was Dorcas, and she was always doing good and helping the poor. Now, let me just stop there for a minute. Now, you know what's interesting is that you may have never heard of Tabitha. She may not really be famous like Peter, James, and John, but you know who she was famous to? She was famous to a group of the least of these. She was always helping the poor. You and I, we may have never heard of her, but I guarantee you in that overlooked community of the poor, she was famous. Isn't that interesting? And then it continues on. Look at verse number 37. About that time, she became sick and she died. So look, how about that for a story? And it says her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Now, Lydda is another city that was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter, this is, this is the disciple Peter, the apostle Peter, was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Now, now I want you to take note that there's no instruction other than come at once. So verse number 39, Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. And then I find it very interesting that the ones who are, again, the ones who are affected is all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Can you imagine what a sad scene this must be? Peter's standing there looking at this woman who had passed away who was so precious to this crowd of people and these poor widows who were showing him garments and other types of clothing that, that Tabitha and Dorcas had made for them and as they're crying and weeping. I just think that that's really amazing that, that uh, you know, it, that, uh, again, she just made such a difference in this community that is often overlooked. So in verse number 40, it says, Peter said to them, uh, excuse me, Peter sent them all out of the room and then it says, he got down on his knees and he prayed. Now, I know this is going to be hard to believe if you're new to church world, uh, but we believe the Bible is true. And we believe that Jesus uh, gave you know, the authority and power to the disciples to do miracles. But look, look what it says. It says, turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up and he took her by the hand and helped her up to her feet. Now, here's the thing that I want you to know, that never before in history, in recorded biblical history, had Peter raised someone from the dead. Now, he had seen Jesus do it. Now, if you remember the stories where Jesus saw the little girl and he, and he, had, he had the little girl in front of him, you know what he did? The first thing that Jesus did is he, ex he actually had everybody exit the room. He cleared the room, and the only ones that stayed behind were Peter, James, and John. So, so Jesus, Jesus said, everybody get out, but Peter, James, and John, you stay back and you watch. So here's Peter, completely out of his comfort zone, right? He has been given power and authority by Jesus to do miracles, but never, you know, before this has it been recorded that, that Peter has risen anybody from the dead. Now, I'm sure like doing a lot of miracles, you know, I mean like, you know, healing somebody and, you know, giving somebody the gift of sight and all the really cool things that are listed in, in the earlier chapters of Acts are really cool, but to, but to raise somebody from the dead when they're dead? I mean, you know, there's only a couple times in the whole scripture, and Jesus himself did it to himself, but I mean, 
gee whiz, Peter just took it upon himself. There was no instruction given by the people. There was no instruction given by the Lord. Peter just decided that Tabitha's work wasn't done yet. Peter had just decided that this woman was too valuable to this community. And for some reason, he was moved. But again, talk about being out of your comfort zone. Peter, trying this for the first time. Can you even imagine for a second what that must have been like? So Peter, was he wondering if it was going to work? Did he have any confidence? I don't know. It didn't seem like he doubted at all, did it? But he sends, sends everybody away. Then he, then he calls the woman to be raised from the dead, and she, and she is. And then it says, then he called for the believers, and again, I love this, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So, uh, which, you know, he doesn't talk really much about this guy named Simon, this tanner, but I'm sure they had a lot in common. Peter's like, hey, my name used to be Simon. Jesus changed it. So he he hangs out with Simon. But you know what's interesting? You know what's interesting is that there's two truths for today, and here's the first one. The first truth for today, and you want to write this down, is some of the best stories begin with us stepping outside of our comfort zones. Isn't that true? Some of the best stories that you have right now, and by the way, not just, not just you know, in the spiritual world, but in the regular world, isn't it true that when you step outside your comfort zone at work, sometimes bad things happen, but a lot of times great things happen. You know, no risk, no reward. When we're comfortable, not many, not many things happen when we're comfortable. But we step outside of our comfort zone. A lot of you did that with your business. You took a risk with your business, and some of the greatest stories came when you decided to risk something financially or in the business world. No matter what it is, isn't it true also that even just in life, you know, when you decide to just take, take a risk, you know, like rappelling, jumping off of a mountain. I have a story of rappelling, and yet I'm scared of heights. Do you want to know that some of my best stories, they almost always involve a friend of mine uh, named Jeff Miller. He's my best friend. And it, ever since high school, he's always talked me into doing things. And he was always the more of the adventurous kind. And I'm going to share uh, the secret. Here's the secret of how he talked me into doing things. You ready for this? Here's what he would say. He would say, Chris, he'd say, like, for instance, like I was at Baptist Bible College uh, my sophomore year at like one in the morning, and he's like, hey, let's go egg the security bug. You know, there's like a little bug, like, like a little, little Volkswagen bug that goes, he's like, let's just grab a bunch of eggs and throw it and egg the security bug. Now, by the way, kids, that was wrong. Okay. It was a great story, though. I'm not going to tell it to you, but, but I remember him looking at me, and I was like, Jeff, leave me alone. And here's how he would get me to do everything. He goes, Chris, Memories. Making memories. Come on, man. <laughs> Making memories. That was the key. And he would, he would say, and then this is how he would say it. He goes, you're, Chris, you're never going to tell the story about the time you didn't do it. He said, you're never going to tell the story about the time you said no. He's like, you know, you, nobody sits around and goes, hey, remember that time that we did nothing? Remember that time? Man, that was great. Remember, I was looking at you, and you were looking at me, and like you were breathing. Such a great story, right? Nobody tells that story, right? He says, no, you got to tell the story of making memories. Like, Come on, man, make memories. And, and, and you know, granted, a lot, of, a lot of stories that I have end up with me in juvenile or police. All that you know, starts with making memories. But I guarantee you that some of the best stories as well that I have that are the most adventurous and the coolest stories, they begin with Jeff saying, Come on, let's make some memories. And not only do some of the best stories in my life start that way, but it's also true with Jesus. When Jesus asks you to step out of your comfort zone, I guarantee you that some of the coolest stories that you have start that way. I was in Buffalo Wild Wings about three years ago. 
And I was sitting there all by myself. And I know that's weird to eat by yourself, but I actually kind of like it. I'm a high extrovert, and uh, I don't do many things by myself, but I've discovered over the years that, uh, that sometimes I like going in a restaurant and eating all by, all by myself, especially at Buffalo Wild Wings, because I'm watching the Lions game. I'm like, nobody's bothering me. I'm just having a great old time. So here I'm eating at Buffalo Wild Wings. There's a guy also right next to me at the table. He's sitting there, and we were talking about the Lions, all right? And so, and you know, again, we're from Michigan, so... There's not really much to talk about with the lions, but, you know, we talk about what we have. So, so anyway, so we're sitting there talking about them, and uh, I kid you not, uh, God impressed on me very, very much, and this is a weird thing if you don't understand this, but something in my spirit just said to me, pray, for, pray with him. Now, have you ever been in Buffalo Wild Wings, and then some, and somebody says, pray with a stranger? I don't even know this guy's name, other than we both appreciated Matthew Stafford. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, no, there's no way I'm praying for him. And it was the weirdest thing. And I'm sitting there eating, and then all of a sudden I get this impression, like, you need to pray for him. And I'm like, what? I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be able to just bring this up out of the blue without seeming, seeming like, a, like a weirdo freako, right? And so I'm thinking, there's no way I'm not doing it. And I resisted it. And so finally about maybe 20 minutes or so probably went by. I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm doing this, right? And so, you know, we have this, you know, normal man relationship talking about sports. And finally, I introduced myself and he, he, I get his name. And I finally, I just went for it. And I just said, hey, listen, I says, I know you don't know, I don't know you. And I said, I know this is kind of weird. I said, but <clears throat> for some reason, I feel like I should pray for you. And the guy immediately, you know, just chokes up and can't even talk. And then I kind of just, I don't tell them I'm a pastor. I don't like to tell people that because then they act different, you know. So, so I just said, yeah, I just want to pray for you. And then finally I found out, he, had, he said to me, he goes, Chris, I, actually he didn't say my name, but he said, I just left the doctor's office and I just found out that I have cancer. And I haven't gone home to tell my family yet. And I didn't want to go home. So I decided to just come to Buffalo Wild Wings. And I thought, man, I'd love to pray for you. And so I prayed for him. And, and I thought to myself, now, and by the way, I didn't even tell him I was the pastor, but I invited him to our church. In fact, I don't even know if he came. I assume he didn't because uh, he would have probably come up to me if, if he saw me on stage maybe. But, but, uh, but that moment happened. And I remember leaving and getting in the car and thinking to myself, I almost missed that. Like, I, I, I almost missed that radically. Like, could you imagine if I would have, if I would have missed it, you know, you know what would have happened? You know what the answer is? Nothing. Nothing would have happened. But because I was willing to step out of my comfort zone, and because I really felt like it was God telling me, you know, that's the key, is God, is God telling me. And once he did, I realized it was one of, the, one of the best moments that I've had in a very, very long time. Uh, I want to read for you a real quick email. Back in 2012, Kensington did a series called The Hole in Our Gospel. And the hole was like representing like, uh, you know, the overlooked, the poor, the least of these, which is very similar to this series. And, and back then in 2012, we gave people a challenge to do kind of the same thing, to reach out and to do things for other people. And so we gave them a list of suggestions. Well, there's an email that came in to me from a lady at our campus, and she said that she didn't really quite know what to do, and she had saved up a bunch of money for like a month, and she had a large sum of money, and she, she wanted to bless somebody, but she didn't, she didn't feel like she knew what to do with it. And so she ended up printing out this list that I had, you know, printed out. And one of the items that, that were suggested were buy somebody some groceries. So she said she went to the store and she just bought like a massive amount of money on a grocery cart. And so she, she didn't know what to do. And finally she was at work and she saw this lady who she works with and she felt like God was saying, give her the grocery cart. 
So she emailed her across the way, across the same room, and said, meet me in the break room. I have a gift for you. And so they met in the break room. And then, um, so let me read for you the way that she sent this into me. So these two women meet up, and she says, I have something for you. I know this is kind of awkward, and I hope you won't be offended, but I believe that God wants me to bless you and hands her the grocery gift card. The woman immediately starts crying and says, you have no idea, and then stops speaking. By this point, the woman who gave the card, she's now crying because in, it's just one of those moments where you know that something supernatural was going on. About that time, someone else walks into the break room, so they both straighten up and they go back to their desks uh, because they don't want to appear like they're crying. And then this email uh, comes to the woman who gave the card, and it reads this way. Thank you very much. I had $19 in my checking account this morning. I've been praying about this specifically and how I was going to get groceries. You are his angel. Bless you for your obedience. Love you. I think to myself, that is so incredibly moving to me because I think we all know a bunch of people who talk and don't do. Isn't it true? When you, when you, when you hear somebody talk about being a certain way but yet don't, step out of their comfort zone and say, okay, it's going to cost me money. It's going to cost me maybe an awkward conversation. It's going to cost me some convenience. But to hear something like that is one of the most amazing things because some of our best stories start when we step out of our comfort zones. Uh, look what James chapter 2 says, verse number 14. James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters? And by the way, brothers and sisters means people of the church. Right? Brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? And I've highlighted that word, such faith, and the reason why is because uh, I want you to know that it's not talking about how faith needs deeds in order to be faithful. In other words, let me say that differently, okay? You don't need deeds in order to have faith. It's actually, uh, when he, what he's talking about here is actually the opposite. What he's saying is, is that it's not a true faith. Because any true faith will have deeds follow them, right? In other words, such faith represents a false faith by a person who, doesn't, who, who says they have faith, but yet they've not been transformed by Jesus. Because if you have faith, then deeds will automatically follow. So again, it says, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And if one of you says to them, go in peace, be, uh, uh, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about, excuse me, about their physical needs, then what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, it, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Well, show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. And so what James is saying is, is he's, almost, he's implying that doing nothing is not an option. Because if you see someone who is without food or without daily clothes and you do nothing to meet them, then he's saying, then what, what, what good is that kind of faith? Because any faith, if it's a true faith, will transform us. And again, you don't have to, you know, you're not called to save the world, right? But we're, we're called to make a difference with, with one or with two. Whatever we are able to do. And so if you have a lot, then you probably are going to be responsible for a lot. If God has given you little, then God is going to you know, still challenge you with the same responsibility of making a difference from what, what he's given you. And by the way, that's explained in the Bible with, with, with the person with one talent, the person with 10 talents. I mean, this is a biblical principle. Regardless of whether you have a little or a lot, we're still called to live the same way. And so 
Uh, there's, there's, there's two truths. And, and in order to give you the second truth, I'm not going to give it yet. I want to tell you a quick story. I remember one time I was driving in a car with my previous boss. His name was Chuck Holt. He was a, a pastor of the, uh, of the first church that I worked with. And, and I remember we were stuck on Highway 138 in, in Atlanta, Georgia. And Highway 138 was like a two-lane road, and it was backed up, and it kind of went down a hill and went up a hill. And we were able to see bumper-to-bumper traffic, and it took us like 45 minutes to get all the way up a hill that should have taken maybe 60 seconds. And it was bumper-to-bumper traffic, but even worse than that, it was raining like a white rain. You know, you know what I'm talking about? The rain is so heavy that you could barely even see, even if your windshield wipers are on full blast. And so we're in this traffic jam. It's taking us so long. We're edging all the way down this hill, and we edge all the way up this hill only to find out that the thing that was stopping us was apparently an empty refrigerator box that had fallen off of, I don't know, somebody's truck or something, and it was in the middle of the road because it was so big, everybody was edging around, and we barely had enough room in the gravel to go around, and so it had blocked both lanes all the way down, and so, and as we finally got up to this refrigerator box, we looked and we realized, we're like, wow, that's the thing that was blocking us up, and of course, you know, the, the radio's off, it's really quiet, all you hear is the rain, you know, Chuck and I are both sitting in, 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 the, in the car alone, and we're both just kind of looking like this, and you, all you hear is, chick, 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 chick. and Chuck looks over and goes, wow, he goes, somebody really needs to get out of the car and go move that box, and I'm like, yeah. We just drove right by, and then we would look at each other and just start cracking up. And the reason why is because we didn't get out and move the box. It was hilarious. We just looked at each other and started laughing. We're like, man, if somebody were just to get out of the car and get wet and move the box, then we can fix all of this. And yet we're like, yeah, somebody really needs to do that. Yeah, we just walk right. And I just thought to myself, isn't that the way that we are? Our human tendency is to do that, isn't it? So here's the second truth for today, and it's this that Jesus led with doing more than he did with talking. Jesus led with doing more than he did with talking. You remember when John the Baptist was in the prison? And when John the Baptist was, and maybe you don't know the story, but he was ready to be executed. He was a devout follower of Jesus. He sent a messenger to Jesus, and he said, are you the Messiah? Are you really the one? Are you really the one that we've been waiting for? Do you remember what Jesus' response was? He says, go tell John to the messenger. Go tell John the things that you have seen, the things that I have done. He didn't say, go tell John all the things that I've been talking about. He said, all the things that you have seen, I have healed the blind, I have made the deaf hear, I have raised the dead, I have, I have healed the sick, and he started listing all the things that he did. Why? Because Jesus always led with doing, and oftentimes, what he would do is he was about to do things, so he went ahead and knew what they were thinking, and he would challenge them, and then he would do the things, or other times, he would just do the things, and then when people didn't understand what he did, he, he followed up with words, but Jesus always was more about doing than he was about talking. And I think it's interesting because as Jesus calls us to follow him, isn't it, isn't, isn't it safe to assume that when God calls us to follow him that we should be a people that aren't just talkers but doers, right? Because isn't that our tendency? Let me, let me prove it to you. How many of you in here, whether, whether you're husband or wife, maybe you're husband and wife, maybe you're single, but how many of you in here have a project around the house that you've been meaning to do literally for years and you haven't done it yet? Be honest. Raise your hand. Come on. Okay. Very good. How many of you, you think to yourself, man, I've been meaning to get together with that couple. I've been meaning to hang out with someone and it's been months and months and months and you still haven't done it yet. Raise your hand. Don't lie. Right? Don't lie. You're in church. If you lie, you go to double hell. So... It's not true. So 
Um, how many of you, how many of you, you were meaning to go to a destination, to travel somewhere, and you've been meaning to for so long, but you haven't done it yet? Come on, admit to it. Because we are people that mean to do things, we talk, and yet sometimes we just talk and talk and talk and don't do. But isn't it true also that the church can be that way? The church can be a church that says, we love people, we love people, and yet we don't do. And so the bottom line is, is you and I are called to lead with doing more than talking, to make a difference. We are called to give our lives away. So let me ask you this question. What's holding you back? What are you holding back uh, from, from listening to God? And maybe for you, you don't have a problem with serving or doing. Maybe you have a problem with giving the, giving the, the financial portion away. Um, I, I noticed the cards on your, uh, in your lobby. Um, the challenge for this series is to go do an intentional act of kindness for somebody and then to find one of these cards that are in the lobby and just let us know anonymously because we don't want you signing your name to it. That'd be kind of weird, right? Patting ourselves on the back is not what we're about. But to actually see what people are doing. And so we, we did this at all of our campuses. So when I came down, the first thing I did was went straight to the lobby and looked at these cards. Uh, someone says, I prayed for... Um, uh, what does it say? I prayed for and, uh, oh, I bought a person a coffee uh, uh, showing, after sharing them the gospel. So, and then somebody says, I pushed grocery carts out of the parking lot to allow people to park their cars, and my, their responses were smiles. <laughs> and then this one says, money for fuel. A coworker takes his sister to Jacksonville once a week for cancer treatments. And so just whatever God lays on your heart, isn't it amazing that we can be the church and make a difference? To whatever, you're, whatever it is that you are uncomfortable, would you surrender it? Would you give God everything that you have? Would you be willing to be challenged? Whatever it is that God's challenging you to do, whether it be financial, whether it be an action, whether it be something that you need to say or do, would you be willing to do it and let God do a great work in us and through us? All right, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together, and I pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear from you and that we would respond. Lord, thank you for your word and this challenge. We ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take a minute and receive our offering at this time. As the ushers are coming down, if you are a visitor here today, you don't necessarily have to worry about giving. Uh, if you're here and you're a part of Kensington, thank you for giving and trusting us. And as you're uh, preparing for the offering, I want you to watch this video. This video, I want you to know that we have done these videos, and we shot this months ago, and it was uh, in, a, in a very poor city called Pontiac, right? And, and if you ever owned a Pontiac in your lifetime, um, that is the city. It was named after that city. Well, that city is very run down, and so we have school partners that we partner with uh, up here just as you do down here. And so we decided to uh, go into one of these schools in Pontiac and to bless them. And I want you to watch their reaction just from a very small act of kindness. So take a minute and watch this.